New York is under an alien invasion, and a young Black girl is running a secret library to support a community looking for an escape when she notices a book missing from her hiding place. Finding out what happens to the book leads to a road trip that could save the world. The girl, Ellie. The book, The Sound of Stars. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit. Listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Kari, yes. anything interesting this week? What have you been up to? Uh, yeah, n- nope. Oh, we really got to get some lives because every week we say, no, nah, I ain't doing none. What you doing? Oh, my. Yo, oh, listen. Yeah, this oh, week, it's going to be good. It's this better be fantastic. Be okay. This is going to be it. Let me just tell you. <laughs> okay. I made Impossible Burgers. Oh, is that even, yes. what is that made of? Soybean <laughs> products. Okay, go ahead. Soy protein. <laughs> and just, the burger turned out really okay. Was beef uh, busy? Did, did that run? <laughs> what happened? Why is this? Just, Why are you doing it? I wanted to try it. So I seasoned it up like a regular burger and um, put it on. And I was hoping it would be like a regular burger. And it wasn't. Ooh. It crumbled when Ooh. I tried to turn it over. So I'm like, what did I do wrong? They said it works like meat. Well, so I'm hating on you, fail. but I cooked beyond. I think it was beyond me. It was either beyond me or impossible meat. And it was better than me. And I said, I don't want this. Something wrong. <laughs> How this going to be better than the meat? Maybe it was whatever they sell at Whole Foods. And I looked on the back and it was like 3000 ingredients. Ingredients. Different yes. types of soy byproducts. And I just couldn't. But it yeah. was delicious when I made it. It was better than meat. <laughs> it was better than meat. <laughs> it was really good. Um, I would definitely have it again. I made three burgers, but it just, I, I just don't like the way it crumbled. I, okay. I mean, maybe I should use it for spaghetti. That ain't what you mm-hmm. want from your burger. That's for cookies. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. not what I want from a burger. And cool. I also went to the store this week and I did not spend $200. I'm proud so, of you. How much did you spend? A hundred. <laughs> well, it's progress. Anyway, <laughs> readers, each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book that we're reading. Mm-hmm. The theme chosen for this week is how to reduce anxiety. So let me tell you, I was talking to a friend and I was telling them, oh, I got to go to the grocery store um, tomorrow. I was just like, oh, no, it's going to be really hot. You don't want to be out in that. I was like, you're right. I don't. All right. I'll <laughs> let you take me. So she she comes to get me. Ah! 
and you are spending time with friends that are not Kari. Okay, I'm offended. Let me finish. Don't Hi, be- readers. So I have tried to get Alexis into my house. I told her we could wear masks and sit on separate sides of the room. I just want to see your beautiful face. And she does this thing where she goes, oh, I really want to come. Let me let you know in six hours. What? Why? And then 6.1 hours later, she'll go, I really want to, but Corona. And now I know you are hanging out with people, just no. not with me. Wow. No, no. Let me. No. You know, people always want to know, like, are they really friends? I can answer that. No, we are not. Uh, okay. Listen, but let me explain. I, 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 I went to the store, right? So I get. When I go to the store, I usually take a lift. So it's just the driver in the front seat and me in the back seat. I get, I go out to the car. The back seat is full of stuff because they're moving or something. And I have to sit in the front seat. My anxiety picks up. And so I'm already nervous because like now I'm like really sitting. And as you know, I don't be hanging around with people. Okay, I don't. I really don't. So um, I have to sit in the front seat. We go to the store and we end up going on a Saturday and it's full of people. I have never felt so anxious in my entire life. I mean, it was just people everywhere and you couldn't go down an aisle and not run or bump into somebody. I was like all kind of what ifs were coming up in my life. I was like, I'm not going to leave the house for 14 days. I need to quarantine. <laughs> I've been around people. Trip. They should have been limiting the amount of people in the store. They were. Wow. We we had to wait like 10 minutes to get into the store. That's not how I shop. I shop when there's nobody in the store. Right. And I'm never crossing the aisle. So I was very uncomfortable. And of course, I started to get anxious. So um, reading the book and thinking about that situation, I was like, okay, let's talk about anxiety. How to reduce this. <laughs> I'm still offended, but go ahead. Don't be offended. Don't be offended because it was very uncomfortable for me Good. the whole time. I'm very, glad. It was very uncomfortable. I could barely share myself <laughs> openly because I was so uncomfortable. Okay. <laughs> I was creating all kind of what if scenarios. So <laughs> I'm not leaving the house and I got to scrub myself. So there you go. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, so I found a, I have an article. Um, it's got some like I want to say like four or five um tips, but then I found another article that spoke specifically to COVID. You know, we got the COVID, and then there's stories about there's more than COVID, and you know, it's just oh yeah, new diseases, you. black plagues, yes, and carrying out bubonics, exactly. Mister Bubonic, that's inappropriate. Sorry, go ahead. I see why you all oh, like okay. me. All right, all right. So it's becoming a thing. So here's some four practical ways to reduce anxiety and I can get you the resource if you like. Um, it is have a realistic expectations. Okay, just be Are you naming realistic. them now? This is number yep. one? Okay. This is number one. I just picked a few of them. Make room in your schedule for quiet time each day. This is These are, you know, things mm-hmm. to keep you less anxious. Have a sense of humor. Keep it. Use it. It's helpful. Laughter. Yeah, it releases these um, things. I don't know what they're called. You know, I am not a medical doctor. I'm not giving any medical <laughs> advice. I just know when I laugh, I'm happier. Mm-hmm. Get regular exercise and get sufficient sleep. All good tips. Then let's move on to this top 10 list of COVID-19 anxiety reduction strategies from the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Heard of it? It's a thing. A-D-A-A. Yeah. 
And so here's their tips. He said, they say during a time of national crisis, we need to manage two things simultaneously, and that's protecting ourselves from the virus and then protecting ourselves from um, anxiety. And if your anxiety and fear and worry has been overwhelming, these are the strategies. The number one strategy here is media distancing. We know social media, TV, you can get that information 24 seven. So we need to distance ourselves because anxiety stems from uncertainty and an active imagination that produces catastrophic thoughts. You know, you go, you know, I, you can imagine yourself in bed on a respirator, barely living. It's so easy to do when you, um, when you hear all these stories, the more anxious you feel, the more you should distance yourself from um, the media. Again, that's Google. That's um, the TV news. That is social media, all forms of media, because it creates in you fear. So you stop it. Stop reading. Stop when you watching. say distance yourself from media. You mean from seeking media about COVID or any pandemic? Or do you mean yep. just in general? I mean, uh, I mean about the COVID. Okay. But it because it's streaming through so many forms, you may want to disconnect altogether. You, you, yeah, because you, understand you what never I mean? know when you'll be like affronted with some information about COVID that you didn't solicit, but it's there on someone's feed. Yeah, unexpectedly. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, and if the information is vital, you'll find out. You'll find <laughs> so out what true. you need to know. Right? <laughs> that sounds crazy, but it's so true. It is. It <laughs> really is. Mm-hmm. Um, number two is do not engage with worry. You can't stop thoughts from entering your mind, but you can choose to stop dwelling on those thoughts and then choose to take action to solve problems that may. And this is not just for the virus, but this is if you're experiencing financial anxiety as well. Anxiety will try to bait you with what if questions. Like I said, I was having those what if stories at the grocery store when I was surrounded by the people and I was with. Have you ever had an anxiety attack outside of that, though? Yes, I have. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have. Um. You know, there's a difference between an anxiety attack and a panic attack. Okay. And I can't describe them, but I've had one of them. And I'm going to say mine's was a um, a panic attack. Mm-hmm. So what um, you felt at the grocery store was also a panic attack? Or it was just, you were just anxious because it was full of people. Yeah, I was just anxious because yeah, it was no, full of people. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, and I was close. And I, then I had to get in the car and be with somebody. So that was just like, ah, she keeps touching me. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, anxiety will bait you with what if questions. Don't answer them. Don't respond. When you do respond, say, I'm not taking a bait. That's you talking to your (laughs) inner self, okay? And turn your attention away and focus elsewhere. The article had um, a lot of analogies. It says, um, like an umbrella and a raincoat, we use them to get through the storm, not to stop it. So, yeah. When the what if questions come, don't take the bait. Tell yourself you're not taking the bait and you're going to refocus yourself elsewhere. I love that. Okay. The goal is to stay afloat until the storm passes. Uh, Step three, tip three, focus on present odds. It says all deaths are tragic, but we must maintain proper perspective. The vast majority of people infected with COVID have mild to moderate symptoms or no symptoms at all. And the mortality rate if you do contract it, is from 1.4 to 3%. The exact number at the time of this writing wasn't a known, was it known? I don't know if it is known at this time. But remind yourself of the present odds. And the odds right now are very good. After all, if you went to Vegas and had a 97% chance of winning, 
you would be excited to take those odds. I don't gamble. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that doesn't apply to you, but maybe some of our listeners gamble. Don't be so self self assumed, okay? okay? If you take care of yourself properly, even if you are in a high risk category, your risk of death is still low. That can be comforting. Take care of that. Uh, tip four, do not react to physical symptoms. If you cough, it does not mean you have COVID. <laughs> it don't mean okay? you don't. <laughs> oh, I sneezed yesterday and put myself to bed for 36 hours. I said, oh, no. Mm-mm. You just knew you had COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just remember, it that applies to you and others. And it, that could be allergies, bronchitis, post-nasal yeah. drip. We don't talk about anything else anymore. It's like the flu doesn't exist. It's either you right. got COVID or you're perfectly healthy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it suggests don't scan your body looking for symptoms. This behavior reinforces your worries and will increase your anxiety. And if you are worried about your personal investments, stop checking on those as well. That's the financial side. Mm-hmm. Tip five, focus on being productive and new ways of enjoying life. We need to focus on where we do have control. This is an opportunity and you've seen it on social media. Try something new. This is time to get that money. Um, <laughs> clean up something, you know, paint something, you know, do like Kari did and redo your whole house. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can learn a new skill, a hobby, make some side monies and stuff or some yeah. whole monies, not side money. It could be whole money. You can make that <laughs> while you're stuck inside. If you're stuck inside. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, creating and accomplishing. Put your uh, attention on what is satisfying. So start something new. And, and for me, that's my gardening and trying to learn how to play the flute. Tip six, yeah. engage in stress reduction activities focus on being grateful exercising your body relaxing your mind to help give it peace select one or two things learn about them so you do them correctly and practice each day so that could be a gratitude journal um, a new exercise routine of whatever sort you know those kinds of things they kind of clear your mind Mm -hmm. step seven tip seven do not go beyond the cdc guidelines okay so i did like put this in bold compulsive hand washing until your hands are dry and red Taking off all your clothes before entering the house and isolating indoors are anxiety's guidelines, not the CDC. Hey, hold on. I do believe in taking off your outside clothes when you come inside. I don't care if it's not a pandemic. You don't do that. Um, if I was going to work, I would. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like when you come home from work, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but that kind if of If you're stuff not is going standard. to work right now, see, Alexis is still in the shelter in place. So, she don't know that the rest of the world is like <laughs> not. <laughs> so, I get it. There's no reason to take off your clothes if you're just running outside to get the mail. Those clothes right. are still good for sitting at your desk. <laughs> that's so true. Y'all, that's you. why I had such a reaction because yeah, I'm not used more to being around people. people. That's right. Mm-hmm. I forget. That's overwhelming. Oh, Lord. That's overwhelming. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tip eight, (laughs) preserve some sense of normalcy, okay? To the extent you can, maintain your day as you normally do with modifications, of course. Be creative. Instead of exercising in the gym, work out inside your home or in the neighborhood. Have dinner with friends over a video chat. Watch the same movie at the same time with the Sync Watching app. Sync Watching app, not a Sync Mm -hmm watching app that's what my mama said we should have did i said alexis won't come over to watch this movie i don't think i'll ever see her again and mama go go on the the zooms and y'all can watch it together 
She said no. I said, that's said, lame. But here you are recommending it. So I don't know. Okay. There it is. You can also attend live religious services online. Maintain a structure to your day. Some semblance of normal normalcy will help reduce anxiety. Tip nine. I think that's what we're on. Tip nine. Be kind to yourself and others and have faith. It's normal to feel anxious and worried during a national crisis. If you're in good financial standing, be grateful and continue to pay others for services they cannot provide. They suggest the ADAA, Venmo, or mail checks to your housekeeper, your hairdresser, or other people who are unable to work. And if you are unemployed or your business is suffering, your new job is to weather this storm as best you can until it passes. And choose to believe that this too shall pass. That's what they said. And finally, tip 10, seek professional help if you need it. Okay. That's always tip 10. I love this yeah. because it's like similar to our agoraphobia episode that we, uh, where we discussed, are you going to, were you going to talk about that? Sorry. I forgot to, I had intended to, but <laughs> okay. I forgot. Perfect. So jump in. So in, when we read The Woman in the Window, we discussed agoraphobia and this new type of agoraphobia uh, where people don't feel safe because of random acts of violence. But now, just a few months later, we're facing a new type of anxiety where people don't feel safe because of COVID. Because we have a new, it seems, pandemic every year, but we've never had one in our lifetimes quite like this. Um, and then there's a lot of um, political and social um, unrest and anxiety about how to protect yourself and all of it can get to be too much. So I like that. I mean, from what you said, I'm going to take away getting off of social media. I get my news from Twitter and it's too much. It's too much. It's a lot. And if mm -hmm. it's really that serious, you're right. Somebody will tell me. Yeah. So I'm not going to worry about it. Um, <laughs> I mean, that sounds crazy, but it's true. I mean, I'm just going to do the best it's I can. It's so true. I'm going to so eat true. vegetables. I'm going to stay away from impossible uh, meat. <laughs> and I'm going to run <laughs> as much as possible, take care of my body, and wear a mask when I'm outside. And I have a little mask collection, girl, okay, to match oh, the shoes. Okay. So masks can be fun. And then you ain't got to do the bottom half of your face. I don't even know where my lipsticks are. You know, you just put on the mask and the eyes be popping. So, you know. Yes, make your eyes live. That's right. It's upsides to everything. So, yeah, I love that. I love those recommendations. Attitude is everything, sis. Attitude mm -hmm. is everything. Listen, they conclude the article by saying this list is a recipe to reduce anxiety. Review it again and put it into practice. Otherwise, it's like reading a cookie recipe in bed. In the end, you've produced nothing and have nothing delicious to eat. So start <laughs> cooking. Cute. Okay. Yeah, oh, I, I like that, that too. <laughs> Anything else, Kari? No, I love those uh, suggestions. So this was more about anxiety around COVID and this time that we're living in and how to deal with that. I love it. No, thank you. <laughs> so let's take a quick break before we get into the context and author info. Okay, sounds good. Introduce us to the 
author, Alicia Dow, and some context about the book, please. I can. So I uh, found Alicia Dow because of a tweet that she sent, and it went a little something like this. She said on June 3rd, Hey friends, The Sound of Stars doesn't have black teens on the cover, but it's about a black, chubtastic, anxious girl, and it's written by me, a black, chubtastic, bipolar lady. If this doesn't sound like your thing, I've got Rex for more black books. And it was that last sentence that was like, you got Rex for other books that you didn't write and you're just right. soliciting that information. So I responded, girl, I bought two copies because you were a real one. And I did. So a little bit about hey. Alicia Dow. Hey. <laughs> she is a former, and this is directly from her website. She's a former pastry uh, chef. She's a former pastry chef, food critic, culinary teacher, and that. youth cool. services librarian. I love, you know, there's like this I new wave that. of librarians coming out. I love it. I love it. I think it is the coolest thing to tell someone, hi, yeah, I'm a librarian. Get out of here. You are? That's awesome. I love it. And it is not just like an easy day. thing that you fall into. It requires a lot no. of effort, a lot of training. Yeah. No. So I used um, to work with a librarian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think there's even a master's program for it. So it is. She had a serious. master's in that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when not writing YA, young adult, sci-fi uh, fiction, science fiction, uh, featuring determined black girls like herself, you can find Alicia having epic dance parties with her daughter, baking, mentoring or taking teeny adventures around Europe. Probably not these days, but that was her life a few months ago. Can I just say she looked like she um, 19 anyway. She looks like a baby. Yeah, she's so cute. <laughs> she does. <laughs> I found a whole child. Get <laughs> yeah, she got a whole daughter and they have dance parties. So the baby girl can dance. So she's old okay. enough to dance. <laughs> I found an interview on The Nerd Daily. And in it, Alicia says that she pitched this story to Pitch Wars in August, didn't get in, and then pitched it again in Pit Mat, hashtag Pit Mat in September. And then agents liked it. Okay. So you have this work that you've poured yourself into. You keep trying to get a publisher to to um, see the vision and then you finally get someone but three days later uh, she had an offer and then a few uh, weeks later they realized they wanted different things from this work and they have to go their separate ways so she could have thought well this is never going to happen but she didn't a month after that she signed with a new agent and only six months later had an offer it was wild she said yeah yeah determination she didn't believe it was possible but she found the perfect editor for her story in Inkyard Press and uh, they Gave her a beautiful cover. I love the cover of this book. I it's, love the cover. Right? Right? Yes. And That's why every I want a book. It, it um it's beautiful. Like um, what's the uh folders that kids used to love in middle school? Lisa Frank. Lisa Frank. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Found but um it reminds me of those uh, Lisa Frank folders that we used to have in middle school. Anyway, um, it's the perfect cover for this type of story. And I love that because it's about a black girl, it doesn't have to have a black girl on the cover. That's not what should make you buy the book. It's right. the story. It just well, happens I mean, to. It can, it can make you buy the book. Yeah, that's true. But um, if you're looking for just a thought provoking um, sci-fi YA story that happens to involve. It, it just happens. You know what I'm trying to say? Like I do know what you mean. For every but product we create, we don't have to sell it with our blackness. <laughs> We can sell it with the, you know, the imagination behind the story. And that's really what they're doing here. So I love that. Right, um, and that's it. That's that's what I know about Alicia Dow. Did you have anything? Um, Nothing extra. I'm trying to think. I listened to um, an interview that she did. And I'm trying to think if I gained anything other than what you're saying out of it. All I know is from that interview, what I remember uh, the most is that she lives in Germany right oh. now. And that um, she um, she has 
plenty of recommendations because it concluded with like a bunch of her recommendations. So mm-hmm. That's what Well, I as a librarian, I'm sure she's very well versed in uh, YA literature and literature in general. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, and then she also has awesome. a, another book that she's writing um, with a nod to um, Octavia um, Butler, because Butler. this is definitely a YA Octavia. But I definitely saw Octavia Butler in this. So that yeah. makes sense okay. to me. Mm-hmm. OK, yeah. cool. So she's got another one coming out. Love All right. It. Well, thanks for sharing that information. Um, now, why don't you give us a brief synopsis without spoilers before we jump into our deep dive? Fine. It won't be as great as the synopsis you gave us at the top of the show, but I will do my best. That was really good. What, you, what did you say again? A road trip to save the world. Anyway, that was great. Here's all I got. Oh, In the not so distant future, the world is being colonized by highly intelligent creatures called Elori. The humans left on Earth live in terror as they await a vaccination administered by their new overlords. In this world, one girl secretly develops a library to liberate her mind and inspire her friends and neighbors. And one alien secretly develops a love for music for which he'd risk his life. Together, they will fight for a future where they both are free. But will their relationship cause the destruction of both their worlds and the death of everyone they know and love (laughs) alexis what were your first thoughts of the sound of stars i was excited to read our first um ya dystopian uh novel oh yeah Um, sure and i was excited oh this is our second ya okay second ya first dystopian okay all right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah you're right and i really love the cover the cover so beautiful so i like i like i've got to get this book but i you know i can't really get the book yet you know I'm on the waiting list at the library. So. Okay, I was going to say, why couldn't you get the book? Okay, that's why. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go get it, though. Get so it. people are reading this. It's yeah. on a wait- it's waitlisted. I love that. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, that's all I got. What about you? What were your first thoughts? You know, I've been looking for a YA novel that takes me out of the present reality. A book in general that's fantasy. I wanted to read something and get lost in a totally unique story, something original. And so that's what I was hoping this book would do for me. Okay, cool. And I love the cover, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cover is beautiful. It's a piece of artwork. It is. So, so are you ready? You ready I'm to ready. dive in? Yeah, let's get into it. Okay, Kari, let's hear that deep dive. A deep dive into The Sound of Stars by Alicia Dow. Here I go. Part one, War of the Worlds. While the world was in chaos, full of bigotry, strife, civil unrest, the aliens came and stood still in our skies. The media was silent. The White House was silent. Everyone who could escape to their second homes did, but most could not. All they could do was sit and wait while a spaceship hovered above them. And then we attacked our military. We hit them and then they hit us. We captured some, analyzed their bodies, and found their weakness, electricity. And we thought we could win, knowing that electricity is like their pressure point. We thought this is the ingredient we need to win this war. Army soldiers traded their guns for electrical weapons. Hopes were high. We, we really thought we stood a chance. We were wrong. Part two, Janelle Poe name. We meet Poe, Poe, Poe Janelle. <laughs> now, every chapter that's in her mind, all her chapters, by the way, are first person. She's talking directly to us. And every chapter she narrates starts with a line from a book. She's a I book love nerd. That. Very well done. Janelle is 17 years old. Her father works for the Alori, the aliens, and he's barely even human anymore. He was the first one of the first to receive the vaccine in a um, program called Half Solutions. Her mother is drained and distant. She drinks herself to sleep every night. Before the Alori came, her father was like a well-respected librarian and her mother has a Ph.D., Um, 
and especially before they even moved into the building. So back back in the day, way before the Allori came and even before they moved into the building, Janelle's family was happy. Her parents would spend the evening gazing into each other's eyes, lost in a world of love. Now her mother can't stand to even look at her father and she sleeps in the guest room. We learn right away that Janelle is a kind person. She goes out of her way to um, put herself, even put, putting herself in danger for the benefit of others. And while we're here, let's bring up two things about Janelle. First of all, she suffers from crippling anxiety. Um, And it's not this temporary, hopefully temporary kind, uh, like we were talking about at the top of the show. She suffers from, she has like a thyroid condition that makes her feel so anxious. It's like fire in her veins. And so her psychiatrist, back when she could have a psychiatrist, helped her with medication to cope, but also with accounting um, strategy so as she feels anxiety rise inside of her and this is a real thing that you can use to take yourself out of a situation yeah Mm -hmm. so as she feels anxiety rise in her she'll count five four three two one five my friend who's staring at me she smells like jasmine and grapefruit four blue shoes that tap on the linoleum (laughs) three fingers Flat against the cold, unyielding floor, two, et cetera, et cetera. So you get that? You're taking yourself out of your anxiety and paying abnormal attention to what's around you in the present moment. Yes, being we talked present about that a little is the bit. whole key. Yep. Yeah, we talked yep. about that a little bit in the agoraphobia episode. And even if you don't feel like you suffer from crippling anxiety, we all have moments, bouts of anxiety. This is a great technique. And then the second thing about Janelle, two years ago, she saw a woman and a child running toward the hatch in the basement of her building. She ran down to the basement to open it for them to save them from either being taken or being killed by the Allori. But when she got to the hatch, it was locked and she didn't have a key. She took a book and banged it against the door frantically until the lock fell off. But when she opened the door, the woman and the daughter were gone and all that remained was a pool of blood. Mm-hmm. This guilt from that situation fuels a lot of the things she does. An example of her self-sacrificing kindness is her illegal library service. She has a system within the facility where she lives where people can borrow library books to take themselves out of this reality that they're unfortunately in since yep, the Allori came. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, getting caught though, lending out a book would be one transgression or point against her. This is these points are determined by the Allori and only two are needed to justify an execution. One evening after her parents fall asleep, Janelle sneaks into the basement. This too, being up after lights out could cost her a point. Leaving her domicile. Yeah. Yeah, it could cost her another point. So this is a, you know, this could come with the penalty of death. But she goes into the basement to get a book for somebody. (laughs) A book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we later learn these people ain't even that great. But she does it not because they're not because they deserve it, but because she wants to help in any way she can. That tells you something about her. So in the basement is her original collection of books, still not confiscated, locked in storage with her family's albums and furniture. She carefully selects the books people have been asking for, but she notices that she's one short and she's never wrong. Okay, this girl counts every day of her life. So she she knows how to count. She knows her books. Yes. Where is the hate you give? Where is that book? It has her name in it. Is she mistaken or did someone take it? And if so, how? How did they steal it from her? And how long before it's found out and leads to her death? You know, for a second, she feels like someone is even in the storage unit with her. Part three. (laughs) More is less. We meet. Ah! <laughs> we meet M zero R one S. His I, name and his alien language. <laughs> I'm like, how did they get to Morris? <laughs> so, but but uh, so if you see it in print, it's really cute. 
because it's like a uh, um, letter M, number zero, capital R, little R, number one, capital S. So say it so, again. M zero R R one S. But he don't say it. Don't say I sound like that in a reading. It, it's, okay. okay. Well, in his alien language, in the Alori language, um, his name and everything they say sounds like a mathematical equation to yeah. humans. Um, every chapter from this, from his point of view, starts with a song title or lyric. He is hey. an Alori. <laughs> he's an Alori and a scientist. He's high ranking. He's a high ranking commander, but he feels lesser than the other Alori with good reason. We learned that the Alori have two races, the true race and the lab made race. The true Alori are immortal beings. We should talk about the word immortal because they're not. But that's what the book says. That is what the book um, says. Yeah. And they have this um, violet, violet purple sheen called their shell clinging to their energy form. They've developed the majority of the universe's technology and advancement. They are wealthy and sustain that wealth by colonizing worlds for their needs and sometimes pleasure. When they realized how much work and danger it was to invade and take control of entire planets, they created a new race, the lab made Alori, to do it for them. Lab maids so are modeled. They rich. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, please. I love it. <laughs> Go ahead. So they rich, yeah, and rich, 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 and they straight yeah. lazy. They like highly intelligent, and they ain't yeah. trying to do nothing. They ain't trying right, to do nothing. They kind of bored. Just listen. Let me make you because that <laughs> taking over stuff. That's not our thing. That we don't want right. to do that. But we gonna make somebody who can do it for us. <laughs> that's what they did. Exactly. <laughs> so lab mates are modeled after the dominating life force that controls the planet that the true Alori want to colonize. So they're conditioned to serve, to eschew emotions like their masters and to operate the new colonies um, for true Alori's usage and profit. Morris is a lab mate, but he was secretly um, forming this like attachment to humans through their music. And he's especially attached to music. Again, he's a high ranking officer created specifically for this mission, the colonization of Earth. His biological makeup consists of two things. One, his familial code. He's from a high ranking, true Alori family. And he looks at them like they're his quote unquote mom, dad and brother. This family is well respected, powerful. The dad is will be the next emperor. That's how high they are. Um, but only his mom's DNA is in him. And he's also made up of the essential life preserving elements from earth. When he was young, his quote unquote father would ridicule him for showing emotion, calling it a weakness. True Alori. Um, while the lab maids are on the earth preparing the planet, true Alori hover above the earth in luxurious spacecrafts waiting for their vacation planet to be ready. <laughs> true Alori. That's right. You heard it. You heard it. Now I get it that it's being colonized for vacation. vacation. I mean, this isn't that ridiculous. So a lot of what's in this book is just uh, a retelling of what we're really doing right now here in society. So this isn't that different than what we do right here on Earth. This is any colonization. Uh, you send somebody spot. to get it ready. Yeah, for your vacation spot. And sometimes people die when you do that. And then yeah. you can go there and vacation and be like, yay, I went to Puerto Rico. I was so outdone. I just got to say I was outdone when I heard <laughs> that. That was too much. A vacation! Well, it's, you know, it's going on here. It's what we do. So, um... True Alori now, if they came to Earth in the current state it's in, would die in this polluted environment. And that really means they're not immortal, right? Because if right. you're immortal, you can't die. Right. But True Alori would die if they were on Earth. And so um, they also need a carefully chosen 
relative healthy collection of humans to complete their plan, which right now for us readers is a mystery. What is their plan? Mm -hmm. Morris is stationed in New York. He's designed to blend in with humans. He's of an expendable race, he realizes. And it's unclear what the true Alori will do with him once his mission is complete. Once they have their vacation home, what do they do with the lab maids that were made just for this mission? And so that type of um, uh, like anxiety between the races makes him sympathize with the people around him. Right. There's also the thing that um, Morris, um, because he's got that um, extra bit that makes him a little higher than, but still less than the true Alori, um, he he personally doesn't expect to die. He expects to be able to go off somewhere else and be away from the people once he right. completes his mission. But the other ones are subject to um, death. So some perks... Some perks come from him being the lab maid of this high ranking family. He carries that family's name, even though he's still a lab maid and looked down on by the true Lori. Right. But they're still like, oh, but you still got that last name. So I can't really mess with you. So he has some perks. And yeah, like Alexa said, he does hope, you know, to go on after this mission. Part four, Prometheus, Prometheus. Janelle has a friend named Alice. They became close after people were separated and some were herded into living facilities. Alice was the first to ask Janelle for a book, and she helped form the system that Janelle uses to dole out literature to her neighbors. In class one day, and just to give you some insight into their class, uh, the Alori have studied humans and realized that they need a task. So sometimes <laughs> in class, they're just separating seeds. You know, there's like a big thing of seeds and they're just separating them and studying the seeds. This is pointless. However, Janelle is like a little book nerd. So she's like, oh, I'm learning so much about these seeds. And her friend Alice is like, hey, it's dumb. Also, where are the boys? <laughs> so anyway, in class one day, they are asked to step outside to witness the punishment of a classmate guilty of her second transgression. The girl tried to build a bomb is the rumor. Now, this girl and her mom were like engineers before the Alori came. Brilliant people. And the girl obviously couldn't take it anymore. She built this bomb right. and was found out. The class goes outside and looks up as the girl is dropped from the top of the building with a rope around her neck. Her neck breaks as the rope tenses. Janelle wonders if her own father will be the one to break her neck if her library is ever discovered. At a party she is reluctantly attending because Alice has convinced her to come, Janelle hears a voice inside of her head beckoning her to her secret library. Ooh. It's an allure. They use the electrical frequencies projected by humans to sometimes speak to them psychically. They can even kill people by unraveling their minds in this way. So she follows the voice because what you going to do? Say no and then Hello. have your brain turn to pudding. So she goes. When she gets to the basement, it's Morris. He's beautiful. He like fine and stuff. He looks he human, is, right? but perfect. <laughs> right. His skin <laughs> and hair is like glistening. She goes, if if he was human, I think he was Latinx. And I laughed yes, out loud. <laughs> Me too. I said, Alicia got a type. <laughs> All right. Here we go. <laughs> so Morris is like, I assure you, I won't hurt you. I enjoyed your book, The Hate You Give. It made me think of the struggles endured by my race among true Alori. He compares everything, though, to music. Um, so to him, she's like the girl from Prince's Raspberry Beret. Love that. Love the song. But what does that mean? Like, she dumb, though? Because no. remember that girl? No. He, okay, I all think I'm going to say. Just the hat. Just the uh, hat. So, but no, I no, guess, no, I guess it has nothing to do with her being dumb. 
Because she's not dumb. No. Anyway, he sings the song and uh, um, Janelle is like, mm, what? Why are you? Why is this alien singing <laughs> Prince to me? Um, he asks what music she likes. She goes, you know, I love Beyonce, Rihanna. Um, and Morris is like, well, I love David Bowie and Ellie, who we'll call Janelle Ellie from now on. Ellie's favorite band in the whole wide world is this band called the Starry Eyed. Now, you guys, this is a band that Alicia Dow produced from her mind. And there are lyrics to their songs in the book. Can I say it's really cute and it's really cool. So some of the chapters that Morris that feature Morris are, are from his point of view start with these song lyrics from the starry eyed and the starry eyed um they're like a dreamy pop band so they're like coldplay's first album <laughs> so that comparison comes up in the book yeah at, at some point i thought they said i mentioned something about korean as it relates to them do you recall that i thought they were a k-pop band That's at first I, before okay, i realized good. they were like totally made up but um <laughs> they, they do have the stardom level of a k-pop band and they're I, I like cute remember. like k-pop band boys yeah i so, can't remember how it was referenced <laughs> but that that was yeah cool yeah so he tells morris tells her that the goal of the allure is not to kill humans okay don't worry people won't die their minds will just cease to exist <laughs> this does not make her feel better mm, strange mm, I don't he, know tries why. To, <laughs> he tries to explain all these nuances around why humankind has fallen but he is there for music okay he's all about the music Lori <laughs> will kill her if they find these books so listen i want music you like books let's make a deal you find me music and i won't tell anybody about your books and she's like oh and by the way they talk like this because they're aliens but i'm gonna make them talk like you got some swag because he's fine <laughs> so anyway she's like hold up you blackmailing me and he like i don't even know what blackmail i don't know what blackmail is <laughs> in his head he going yeah i'm blackmailing you fool um but he tells her listen your life is more valuable than mine to true allory so if you're found out and they know i know we'd both be killed so no one's benefiting from this um more than you know i'm not benefiting more than you from this agreement so he promises, though, to protect her and her family if her library is ever found. And she like, mm, call me Ellie. He fine. I just got to <laughs> remind you. Um, part so five. So. <laughs> and it's entitled Aliens. They're just like us. So Morris returns home to the home that he has here on Earth while he completes his mission and begins speaking with his superiors and peers. Can I say Alicia described this beautifully? So much so that in my deep dive, there are going to be a lot of details that I will just have to omit that you can. I mean, even scenes in the book I can't go into that you will just devour uh, when you read it, hopefully. So I'm not giving that much away here. But the way he talks to his superior and peers, I'll tell you a little bit about. He does it with his mind. There's a communication channel that all the Alori can tap into with just their minds. Um, And his superiors in their conversation want him to update them on the progress of the vaccines, the vaccines. Remember, true Alori need humans to be vaccinated and the planet to be prepared so that they can have a vacation on Earth. Morris is dreading the mass vaccination and says that things that mistakenly show it. He says these things that mistakenly show his emotion and how he's attached to the humans. And You know, he's trying his best to be apathetic because he's not supposed to show emotion. Now, he has this assistant named Avi, who's also a lab grown, but is not on his level, uh, like class wise, uh, socially. You know, he doesn't function in society the same way. This lab grown was meant to be Morris's assistant. And 
that lab-grown Avi tries to cover for Morris in this conversation. The assistant quickly supplies answers to the superiors on Morris's behalf. Mm-hmm. Although he's a high-ranking officer, Alori do not respect Morris. They see him as like a thing we created. You know, you're not right. a true, true Alori. So while speaking to this group, a voice interrupts and um, asking Morris sarcastically if he knows anything about warfare anyway. The voice is from his quote unquote brother, Brixton. Now, Brixton is the golden child of the family. He's the child his parents had naturally, and he gets all the respect that comes with the name, plus the respect of being a true Lori. And he looks down on um, Morris. He's like, Morris is kind of nemesis, but Morris yeah. never um, pushes against his power. He's just always cowering under his brother. So Morris quickly pretends not to be phased by Brixton's voice and assures everyone that everything is under control. The truth is that human bodies are valuable, but the Alori are killing humans too quickly due to violations and transgressions. And it's becoming more difficult to find and collect quality bodies. They try to keep them in permanent holding facilities like the one Janelle lives in. Morris then thinks about Janelle, Nellie, how she made him feel, how beautiful she looked to him, her eyes. He's interested in her, you know, from like a scientific point of view, because he's a scientist. Okay. <laughs> Back at school where they play in seeds. Janelle is asking Alice when um or is talking to Alice when Morris just shows up and just stares at Janelle. <laughs> and, and Alice is like, oh, that fine alien staring at you. And Janelle is like, um, they killing us. <laughs> Can you not act like they fine? Although, you know, he is. And Alice She's is like, like focus, focus. <laughs> So Alice is boy crazy. Okay. So Alice is like, oh, I wonder if they date the aliens. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Nellie is just dumbfounded. Anyway, Morris has the guards lead everyone outside for mandatory exercise. And in this moment, he asked Janelle to collect music from him floor by floor secretly from the people in the building. She complies. Right. Yeah. All the time she knows he might be just playing her. When she meets him in the basement and gives him the collection, he is giddy. He asks her, what is dating? Are, are we dating? She's like, nope, we sure ain't. Here's your collection. Okay. She be Don't trying to keep to save that me and line my family. clear. Yeah. She be trying so, to keep that line clear. Nope. She goes, nope. Nope. <laughs> she goes back to her condo and her dad is lucid for the first time in a long time, but only for a brief moment. He asks her how her day was and tells her they have little time. Janelle hugs him and his back and arms go stiff. Just like that. He's mindless again. She cries. Her parents, again, were educated leaders, but now her father is a shell of himself. He was a librarian. Her mother um, has a Ph.D., but spends her days carrying out secret tasks for the Alori that she doesn't talk about. And then she comes home and just drinks and cry. Um, Janelle goes to Jackson's house. Now, Jackson is a boy in their school uh, or kid in their class um, to ask for music because she's still collecting music for Morris. Um, before the Alori took over, Jackson's dad, Mr. Hughes, was a liberal progressive thinker, supposedly. He's also a raging racist. So when her black family moved into their building, Mr. Hughes would gossip with the other residents about how they had to be careful about letting that kind in the building. He became obsessed with their presence and how close they were to his front door. Um, it's all he talked about. He spewed hateful words at them whenever he could. And of course, behind his back, uh, behind their back. And his wife eventually couldn't take it. Mr. Hughes's wife. And she left him. She left him because he was just too racist. Too racist for the family. She's like, not. But she also left her I son can't behind. I take this. Yeah, I mean, 
Maybe the son so, had the same thought. Yeah, she said, I'm done with both of y'all. I don't know. It's not addressed in the book. But the wife leaves the son and the father, a little Anna Karenina. <laughs> anyway, she began working with soldiers who were part of the resistance and the Allori killed her for it. Mr. Hughes blamed Chanel's family because if his wife was with him, he reasoned, she'd be alive. But she hadn't been with him. She left him because of Janelle's family, he decides. Anyway, a little background on Mr. Hughes. The vaccinations begin. Morris adds Janelle's family, her mom, dad, and her to a list. Make sure they're not vaccinated, he tells his assistant. That evening, her father opens their front door as the kill guards enter her home and block in Janelle. And she's like, oh, oh no. I knew this day would come. Actually, she seems very calm. She's very I don't even, calm. She doing her counter exercises like five. Well, duh, you here to kill me. Four, <laughs> it's because of my library. Three, I always knew. Two, let's go. And I'm so, like, wait a minute. Where's I was like, wait, Janelle kind of a thug. Okay, Janelle, I'll see you. <laughs> she was like, let's go get this over with. She was. Shoot. So she knew this day would come and she thinks to herself, um, Mr. Hughes. Mr. Hughes must have been the one. And it's true. He sold her out. The charge against her is illegal activities and paraphernalia. He sneers. Mr. Sneer, Mr. Hughes, sorry, sneers while looking up at her. Now, all the people that live mm. in the building have been asked to step outside to witness an execution similar to what happened at Janelle's school a few days ago. So Mr. Hughes is looking up at Janelle with a rope around her neck and he's sneering at her. Neither Alice nor her mom is standing below. And her dad is looking at her, but she doesn't even know if he recognizes her. She feels her body being pushed into space. At the same time, while this is happening, Morris is in Ellie's room alone, looking through her stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but supposedly he's gathering things which she might want to take with her right. when he saves her. That's mm -hmm. what he's doing. What you mean supposedly? That's what I don't he's know. Doing. Just ask her to go get her stuff. Why are you in her room? But whatever. Because he knew they was going to scoop her up. No, I they, mean, no, you know, in, prep in preparation for her to be put somewhere else to be protected from the He's um, vaccination. being nosy. So <laughs> he finds a secret stash of books in her room. And he's like, man, why does girl keep risking her life for books? But then he's like, well, why do I risk mine for music? And he feels like Ellie's my friend. She gets me. And he's never been understood before. So this is a true moment for him. The speakers overhead tell him that there's an execution taking place. It's the same announcement asking everyone to come outside. And he panics. What if it's Ellie? Ugh, it is Ellie. The speakers crackle again, reminding him that a human will die. The panic hits him in the center of his stomach. What if it's Ellie? He connects to Il Zerocom while bounding up the nearly 20 flights of stairs as fast as his abilities allow. Human JQB-305-7-21, accused of illegal activities and paraphernalia. M01 is closes his eyes, remembering Ellie's uniform and the number and frequency stitched into the right collar. A wariness envelops him. It is Ellie. He tries to remain calm. We do not need to execute anyone. The vaccine is ready. Stop the execution. This is your commander. A true Alori voice cuts in. Maintain control until all are inoculated. Commander, an uprising now would be unwelcome. A general appointed by his father states with a hint of annoyance in his tone. There are not enough Alori troops within proximity. One incident may lead the path to many more. We have a functioning vaccine now. A fourth of the population have responded well to it. Only one death from a heart defect. Many more are already primed from the Half Solutions program. Only the younger humans are left. 
We want their obedience. Our numbers are decreasing out west and we have fallen behind schedule. This display is necessary. Commander M01S, do you agree? The voice is from True Alori Command, lurking somewhere above him at this very moment. M01S knows the answer he is supposed to give, but he can't. They can't take Ellie. She is, she can't die. He promised. He pushes through the crowd of guards wrapped in the darkness and chill of the night. He catches sight of Ellie just as she falls forward off the edge. He sprints across the rooftop, batting guards out of the way and jumps. Time slows. The rope will catch her and her neck will snap. He focuses on the threads of the rope, fractions of seconds ticking by as he focuses his mind and abilities, pulling string by string, thread by thread, until the rope disintegrates and Ellie continues falling. But M. Zero Morris plummets faster, breaking the laws of Earth's nature through sheer will and draining his charge, and scoops her from the air. He lands on his feet with her body draped in his arms. She stares up at him, swallowing air in short bursts, wide-eyed. He holds her tighter. They will come for them. So, more, thank you for that beautiful reading. Morris breaks the You're laws of, Earth's, <laughs> of Earth's nature to grab Nellie. Ellie, sorry. So <laughs> You want her to be called Nellie, but it is truly Ellie. <laughs> okay. So Morris breaks the laws of Earth's nature to grab Ellie and hold her tighter. Everyone, Alori and humans surround them, unsure what to do in shock. Morris runs to the car and puts her in the passenger seat. His assistant connects to his mind and tells him to run. He tells him to find a specific quadrant where he may be safe. This quadrant, I believe, is in California. He right. urges him, and they're in New York, he urges him to use his title and his name to convince any Alori he may happen to meet that he needs this human girl for his mission. The assistant tells him there's a tracker on his vehicle, find alternative transportation. Morris places a hand on Ellie's neck to comfort her. This is so YA, you guys. She thought she was going to... <laughs> She thought she was going to die, but she so she becomes nauseous. Right. And they pull over. She doesn't know where her parents are or her best friend. Morris has already asked his assistant to protect them, all of them. Morris confides in Ellie all his life. His father has told him that he's defective. And if he fails this mission, his execution will be broadcast across the colonies as an example. This is what his father has told him. And then his father promised that he'll punish his mother if he fails the mission because it's her material that's inside of Morris. He cannot bear the thought of his mother being punished. And so he took the mission without hesitation. All his life, he's felt emotion and Elori are not supposed to feel emotion. So to his father, this is a sign of his defect. Um, Morris swore to himself that he would not be the reason for his mother's death, but then he found music and music led him to Ellie and Ellie understands this need that Morris has inside. Morris also has a plan. Lori are like self-righteous and overconfident, but they tell people they don't have emotion. So being full of emotion and denying that they have any emotion, Morris and Ellie are going to use this to their advantage. They're going to um, go across the country to California, but do it in a way that's unpredictable because the Lori are never unpredictable. Anyway. <laughs> until Morris has, um, until this moment, Morris has never been a has only ever been alone, I'm trying to say. So even when he was surrounded by other Alori, he felt alone in his house. He was never understood. And the thought of him having Ellie with him on this cross-country trip, someone beside him that understands him fills him with joy. He is they like make their, geeked. 
And he's trying to hide it because yeah. this is like a really sad situation and she almost got hung off a building. But oh my goodness, she's going to be with me on a cross-country trip to California. Yay! And she cute. <laughs> so <laughs> they make their way to an abandoned house and once inside or once they get there Morris kneels down under the car takes out a tracking chip and throws it miles away faster than anything Ellie's ever seen and she begins reeling from this display of power it's <laughs> 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 like YA romance is the best <laughs> they go into the abandoned house and find green beans and peanut butter and water yum they go upstairs and she finds clothes jeans and a cable knit sweater and there's like this moment where he has to to like stand outside so she can get dressed and she finds a peacoat <laughs> listen it's gonna be a long trek to california <laughs> they hey, but walk it's still out cold the- in new york it's still cold in new york and it's still cold in new york right so they walk out the door and for the first time ever morris feels uncertainty part six the beginning of the end they start their journey. His charge is low. So the thing with lab mates, they need to be charged like you charge a cell phone. And with the proper charge, they don't even need sleep. But that's one of the biggest distinctions between true Lori and lab made ones. Their power is not infinite. Morris asks Ellie, um, you know, he's trying to get to know her and not focus on his lack of power reserve. Um, so he asks her, you know, where are you from? <laughs> she tells him, I'm from Brooklyn. It's like New York City, but not. It's not like anywhere in the world, in fact. Um, Ellie asks Morris where he's from, you know, about his planet and where he was born. His parents, he tells her, had one son but couldn't have any more children, so they created him. And he's a mix of his mother's biological makeup and that of random donors. He thinks to himself how he's happy. No part of his father is inside of him. So they talk more about why the Alori are colonizing Earth. And Morris lets her know initially killing humans was not part of the plan. Right. But when the Alori first arrive, people shot down their ships. <laughs> yeah. So it was essentially them defending themselves because they right. just wanted to talk to them. It's like, well, maybe you would let us come to your house and, you know, vacation. Hang out. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, though your environment not quite right, you, <laughs> uh, we have to fix that. But we just want right. to talk about this. But this could be mutually beneficial. It could be. But the, um, the uh, humans weren't agreeable to that. So... They had an opportunity to kill them. And when the Elori got the better of them, they did not destroy humans when they had that opportunity. Um, Cause they, like you mentioned earlier, they could use their minds to destroy them, but they're, they chose not to, they chose not to. They're, but why they're keeping people alive is still a mystery up to this point. Mm-hmm. So um, like we said, initially when the Elori came, humans got scared and shot down three of their ships. Uh, we started killing some of them <laughs> when we found out what their weakness was. Mm-hmm. And instead of just dominating the natives, the Alori decided, well, we'll systematically separate them so as to avoid anarchy and begin a new plan. Folks going to die. We'll work it out. Right. <laughs> he also tells her the truth about the vaccine. Because Alori are, quote unquote, immortal and are bored with their wealth and freedom, the vaccine allows them to live in human bodies while enjoying Earth. That's why they need these healthy bodies to be preserved. But the vaccine makes you mindless because that enables the Alori to like take over your body and like experience this vacation planet as a native would. What hey, a fun experience. Yes. Don't we all want to experience vacation <laughs> like the natives? basically it's like going to Hawaii and wearing a Hawaiian shirt duh you don't wear sneakers and like ski equipment um and then meanwhile the true Lori's body would be waiting for them in a space spa hey they're just living it up 
The Chirillori don't feel guilty. They reason that man would have killed themselves anyway due to climate change and global warming sooner than later. And Ellie is like disgusted by all this, but she's starting to see the difference between true Allori and lab mate ones. The true Allori seem evil and blithely unaware of their evilness. And Morris sees that she's recognizing the difference. This gives him hope because he really does like her. He wants her to be his friend, um, but sh- they can't be friends if she sees him as a, like a monster, as if he's a monster. So he tells her the projected life expectancy of Earth, of our world, was maybe another hundred years before complete annihilation by both nature and nuclear warfare. Okay. And Janelle is angry and she's like, yeah, well, that seems right. Exactly. (laughs) Like, what can I say? (gasps) Your math, your math works, but I'm angry about it. I get to be angry. <laughs> he also tells her about the true Lori. Their abilities are the strongest when surrounded by organic life, like trees and forests and oceans. This sustains and feeds them. Without it, they are weak. And unlike lab maids, they do not have these panels that he has along his um, jaw. Uh, so they charge themselves by nature, kind of. Not, not charging like he needs a charge, but that's how they're invigorated. It's cold now where they are. And his charge is dangerously low. They need to get moving. Humans are slow. So Morris scoops Ellie up into his strong alien arms and runs across the forest to look for shelter for the night. Alien they slash start- human arms. OK. OK. Human start- like. It's all alien. OK. But um, it's OK. He's fine. Um, they, st- they start a fire and she tells him a story while he falls asleep. Suddenly a gunshot jolts him awake. Two men have found them um, because the fire led them straight to the cabin. One look at Morris and they drop their guns, knowing that he could destroy them from the inside out with only his mind. He takes their keys and steals their truck. Him and Ellie climb inside. The men call her a traitor. Music is playing on the truck. The times they are a changing by Bob Dylan. They continue getting to know each other in their path to California. And she tells him about how her and her dad used to hop on the train in the morning on Sundays in search of the best bakery in the city, which was always in Brooklyn. And her favorite were oatmeal donuts with cinnamon sprinkles on top. She went to a Beyonce concert one time and decided to learn all the dance moves from all of Beyonce's videos. (laughs) And it took her forever, but she did it. And she's never showed anyone, but it's her own personal accomplishment. This is so cute. (laughs) She also loves ramen, but not the package kind. Me too, girl. We can be bougie foodies together. Together. Love it. Uh-huh. Actually, Morris tells her how he loves the stardust on his planet and eating it makes him feel connected to the universe. <laughs> Morris is on another level. Yeah. Baby. <laughs> they happen while they're driving upon a standoff between a group of men and a group of Alori. The men are p- pointing their guns at an alien who lies on the ground in the middle of both groups. Morris and Ellie reluctantly get out of the truck and plead with both sides. A tall white man points a gun at Ellie and it's hard for her to believe that her own kind would ever kill her, especially right now. But then she remembers Tamir Rice, Heather Hare, uh, Emmett Till, Oscar Grant, Nia Wilson, and many, many more. The Alori disperse after um, Morris speaks with them. For pointing the gun at Ellie, Morris twists the man's gun so that it's pointing at him. And he does it with just his mind. Uh, We learned that the Alori laying in the middle of the street was dead. She was shot in the neck with an electric gun directly on her panel and her charge was already low. So the shot ended her life. She was with a group that was just out observing nature. The Alori loved nature. Morris tells her those men were going to kill you. The Alori have deserved their hate, but you have not. He strokes her jaw and she realizes how much she likes him. <laughs> her, her skin is different than the Alori skin. It's warm and he can feel her heartbeat. They head back to the truck and continue their journey. <laughs> so cute. So <laughs> continuing on, they start talking about intimacy. 
And she thinks she's weird because she doesn't want to be intimate with a stranger. But but Morris is like, you know, um, I've been intimate with an alien and it was weird and terrible. So, you know, you're not missing anything. <laughs> they make a vow to kiss before the end of the trip, because at the end of the trip, they expect to separate. And so um, Ellie makes Morris realize why humans like to believe the heart is more than the center of circulation through the body. <laughs> Ellie makes <laughs> Ellie makes his heart beat faster just with her presence. They happen upon Alexis's library. It's this library in the middle of Illinois. <laughs> and um, the Lori are like preserving it. That, Did you think of yourself? Yes, yes, yes. I was like, yay, that's my library. This is what I go to. <laughs> so the Lori are preserving it as a museum. There are rats crawling across the floor. Okay. The air is stale mm-hmm. and dank. The world feels quiet and wrong, just as the Allori wanted. Then they enter a hardware store and Morris begins singing Queen's crazy little thing <laughs> called love, replacing the lyrics with words that match how he feels about Ellie. It's just, uh. it's cute. They nearly kiss, but then a rat rubs against her leg and the moment is gone. <laughs> uh, so they're in the hardware store to grab supplies to charge Morris before he's completely depleted. Or his his charge is completely depleted. Then they head to the grocery store to charge Ellie with food. Um, they expect the air in there to be stank and de- um, you know, stank. <laughs> yep, stank, stale and dank, like all the buildings they've been to, and full of rats. But it's empty and clean inside, like brand new clean. Uh oh. Morris drops to the ground and begins twitching and screaming. And Alori rush into the store. They're caught. Ellie decides she won't leave Morris and she tries to stay calm. He grabs her wrist, Morris does, through the pain and speaks directly into her mind. Don't worry about me, he tells her. Then he stops twitching. Is he dead? Oh, good grief. Ellie holds him in his arms. Oh, my goodness. Her vision goes black and she wakes up in a cell. Morris approaches her cell once she comes to, but he looks empty. She sings Raspberry Beret to him and he physically cringes. He tells her that if she commits another transgression, he'll be forced to take action. He tells her that she'll receive a vaccine tomorrow for her own benefit. Morris has left her, it seems. He, he doesn't seem like himself. And even though he's there with her physically, she knows he's gone. She thinks about her dad, who's in the same condition. Um, she starts to cry and it's this like lethargic cry. She's releasing all mm-hmm. the pain she's been holding inside since forever. Morris is speaking to a fellow Alori about his success, how he convinced the human that he was her friend so that she would help him find other pockets of humans throughout the country. He gained her trust by convincing her he could save her family. The other alien is praising Morris for his wise actions. Listening to their conversation, he's like translating their language through her mind. Janelle realizes that Morris created the vaccine, the vaccine. He's the one responsible for it. He's responsible for what's turning everyone's brain to um, acai pudding. You ever see acai pudding look like brains? (laughs) She feels stupid for ever trusting him. But of course she trusted him because she's the weird girl who never fits in and always sticks out at the party. Of course, he targeted her. And of course, it worked. Targeted. Morris, mm-hmm. right? Morris looks at her, holds up a bag, the bag, filled with all of the music she collected for him and her books. And he incinerates it with his mind. Zap. She is devastated. It's sad, actually. She is alone and devastated. Now, lying in this cell, I'm still scared. There's no home anymore. Tears stain my cheeks and drop onto the stone bench beneath me. I remember my dad, too. You know, sweetie, I don't think humans are going to win this war. He told me while turning the lights out in our apartment, 
Outside our window, we saw a mob of humans with guns and bats surrounding just one Alori. Our building was already occupied by then, but humans were being rounded up and pushed out of their hiding places. A tall Alori put out a hand and the attackers flew in the air, their bodies soon crunching against the pavement, blood splattered and pulled in the pockets of the sidewalks. My blood ran cold. If your mom and I don't make it. Dad, I can't. Ellie, listen, okay? I know it's not what you want to hear, but you need to hear it. Your mom and I, we might not make it through this. If we get separated and you have to choose between life and joining us, choose life, okay? Live, live for us, breathe for us, survive for us. You are our greatest achievement. You are our dream come true. Daddy, I sobbed. I can't. You have to, honey, because they're going to take me and at some point they will take your mama and then it'll be only you. You're going to be alone. You're going to want to give up. Please, Ellie, please don't even thinking about it. My dad held my face in his hands and put his forehead against mine. His tears fell onto my cheeks and soon I felt my own mix with them. We didn't sob or say how unfair all of this was. We held each other and cried. A little over a week later, they gave him a form of the vaccine that didn't kill him, but stripped a big part of him away, lost, maybe forever. Not too long after, mom started spiraling harder and faster. Live for us, breathe for us, survive for us. <sighs> Sorry, mom and dad, but I made unwise decisions. I trusted an alien boy with cute eyes and a love of music. Now I'm surrounded by a lorry and making my last living memories in a jail cell. I'm not sure it's much better than getting the vaccine in the center, surrounded by people I used to know as we face oblivion together. Morris requests that the human be brought to his domicile. As he approaches the door of his home, he sees the Alori to whom he's betrothed back home, the one with whom he shared that terrible intimate uh, moment <laughs> with that he told Ellie about in the car. Her name is Zero... Zerosa? Zerosa. Zerosa, yeah. There we go. Um, she is as cold and calculated as ever. She senses his attachment to this human and flirts with Morris in front of Ellie. She gives Morris an ultimatum. Kill the human or I will right now. He tries to convince Zerosa that the girl is useful to the mission and he needs her physical body. In his room, Janelle and um, Morris are alone. Janelle falls asleep when they initially bring her and Morris recharges himself. He's shirtless drinking juice, which creates some typical YA tension for the kids. <laughs> Morris is pleading with Ellie to, to leave the building with him, but she doesn't trust him. She hates him. He's the cause of everything. He created the vaccine. Having to choose between sure death or at least another opportunity to run by leaving with him, she decides to leave with Morris. Also, he's attractive. <laughs> He was too cute. On their way. He's too cute. I, I got to go with the fine man. Okay. 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 I mean, if Ricky Martin is like, come on, let's just go. I know I I'm killing your family. I'm going to go with Ricky Martin. I ain't going to lie to you. <laughs> On their way out of the building, she sees humans in cages. One is a little girl with deep brown skin, and she probably relates to the little girl. She can't take it anymore. She wants to save them all. Morris assures her we will save them, but only if we leave immediately. She doesn't understand. But he's fine and he was shirtless drinking juice. So, okay. <laughs> she leaves with him. Once outside, he confesses to her. 
One, he created the vaccine to preserve the consciousness of the humans injected. Remember, the true Lori want the experience on Earth and human bodies while their true bodies remain in the spa floating overhead. Well, Morris has a way of killing the Lori who invade the body and bringing back the consciousness of the human. He's written a song. The song is a special code that will trigger the shift in consciousness when it's broadcast through the alien's frequency, a frequency only they can tap into. He needs to find, and I think I'm remembering this right, he needs to find the spacecraft in California, the one that they shot down, the right. human shot down, right. because if he gets inside, he can broadcast his song, his masterpiece, Correct. and then it will kill the Alori who's inhabiting uh, human bodies. And number two, his mother, whose biology he shares, was secretly part of the resistance. She taught him how to read Alori minds, which is how he's able to conceal his plan. Um, to members of the resistance, by freeing the humans, they'll trigger a war that will lead to the true freedom of both Alori and humans. He got a plan. He got a plan. Okay. Well, he's part of a bigger plan. Right. But he's a key So he figure. pulls, right. And then he pulls from the backseat of his car, the bag. Oh. What he incinerated was only a projection, an illusion he created for the benefit of his plan. Her books, the music, it's all still preserved. When this is all over, he will be executed by his father, but he has never felt for anyone what he feels for Ellie. She, he tells her, you are my music. Oh my God. <laughs> they start sharing again, getting to know each other. Um, he asks her why she ever lost faith in people. And she tells him before the Alori um, arrived, she lived in Brooklyn with her parents and they were happy, but they were poor. Her mom always promised her that one day they'd have the good life. And she'd be like, but mom, I'm happy. Um, you know, I know it's rats in our kitchen eating our foods, but it's, you know, that's New York. <laughs> one day they inherit an apartment in a wealthy neighborhood, I think in the Upper East Side, and they move in. Because they could afford it. Like they inherited the property and the taxes and the fees, they could afford it. So it seemed like they had made it. Right. But people in the building clutched their bags when she walked by. Her mom found a job as a professor, but it drained her in this new neighborhood, this new environment. Um, her uh, parents complained when her dad was their kid's librarian. Eventually, her mom became an alcoholic and her dad took a pay cut. Ellie's grades dropped. Um, the news on television was filled with stories of kids her age being gunned down or growing miss going, uh, going missing. A man pushed her while she was in line at the grocery store and called her an animal, telling her she didn't belong there. And the government took sides with the bigots and nationalists felt empowered. They could do whatever they wanted. And they did. It was chaos. One thing about this, Ellie describes um, this moment in time that everyone hated you if you were different. Mm -hmm. And I personally don't like different to describe uh, black people or people of color because we're not different. No. We're people. Right. But we're black people. So that, that's just one thing I want to say. Kids, to be clear, we're not different. We're people and we're black people. That's all. Footnote. In footnote. Period. Period. Morris lets her know it's the same on his planet. When the lab mates stop being useful, the true Alori will destroy them. Ellie decides, listen, I'm going with you. Of course she is. <laughs> Reminder one, he foined. And he drank juice with his shirt off. And he's perfect. So at a gas stop, Morris finds a small black chip stuck to the hood of their car. He yanks it off and the chip drains the electricity in his body instantly. He hears Ellie screaming in the background. It's a trap. <sighs> their capturers this time are human. A few things about this experience. It's very detailed and I cannot go all into it with you. But when you read the book, I implore you to take some time with this this moment. Um, but a few things I'll talk about here. First, to save her, Morris briefly taps into his Alori intercom system, which exposes him, him 
um, and his whereabouts to true Alori, who are already suspicious of him. He knows the risks, but he doesn't want Ellie to be taken without him. So tapping into the intercom allows him to speak with his assistant, Avi, who is being detained suspiciously. But Avi is able to use his power through the intercom system to temporarily hinder the humans. And this is it's easier because his um, his energy is so low. He's like at three percent at this point. What's easier um, for them to tap in? He said it makes him more vulnerable and they can get more information. No, that's later. Well, is that right? Oh, yeah. Excuse me. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So they could. He would. It would be harder for him to protect which thoughts he wants to share mm-hmm. and what he doesn't want to share because his energy was. Low. You're right. OK, so when he's weak, number two, the only one who can tap into his mind is someone from his familial code when he's this weak and his brother does enter his mind. He tells Morris through his mind, I'm coming to you. I can give you energy. We need to. And Morris shuts off his body to block out his brother and to preserve energy. Um, and then third, the people who capture them are part of the one last human sanctuaries. Um, they're part of like the last sanctuary. Inside, half humans who reacted negatively to the vaccine, I think, are kept in dark rooms held by chains. Um, to understand why a person is traveling with an Alori, they lock Ellie in one of these rooms, but she finds her inner like her bad inner um, power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her inner beggar. <laughs> and she busts out. She busts out and she saves Morris. She said, if if this was a book that, I, like a book that I love, a story, I wouldn't just be waiting for Morris to save me. I would save him. I would do all I could. That's and so right. she does. That's right. <laughs> so we're seeing a new side to Ellie. You know, she likes shy and stuff and smart, but she can be powerful. Okay, she know all them Beyonce dances. That's right. So, <laughs> safe again. They charge Morris using a car battery, which is Ellie's idea. He is amazed by her strength and ingenuity. They share their first kiss and it is more than either ever dreamed. <laughs> Why are you laughing? They pull up to a diner, which is abandoned and there's a jukebox inside. Ellie, Ellie puts on Beyonce single ladies and dances the whole video, which Morris decides is the most attractive thing he's ever seen. And he's like, listen, we got to get out of here. Uh, where's our chaperone? So, um, Morris tells her, we are music and stories brought to life by love. There are some lines in this book, aside from the lyrics, which um, throughout the book, there are lyrics from, as we said, the starry eyed, this dream pop band. And this is, you know, Janelle's favorite band. Um, You even get bits and pieces of them from the news, from e-television or, you know, some drama that they've gotten into at a bar. They're just like um, a prominent piece of the story in that their lives happen along the same uh, timeline as these kids. And, and the lyrics kind of match what the kids are going through, the lyrics of the songs. So again, something else you can only fully appreciate when you read the book. Ellie and Morris pass an area that's almost fully prepared for the true Lori. And to be honest, it's beautiful. Nature there has been rehabilitated. Ellie feels sick because, you know, Lori are better for the earth than humans are. But humans, she believes, deserve another t- another chance. Now, they are trying to reach one of the ships, remember, that was shot down by humans when the Alori first arrived. Uh, When they arrive to, I believe, like a beach, it's on a beach, they see the ship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the original ship is surrounded by dozens of smaller pods neatly parked along the beach. In one of those pods is Brixton, the brother. Oh, my goodness. He, He walks up to meet them. He is the first alien Ellie ever sees that actually looks like an alien. His skin is pure energy and he's more tall and imposing than Morris. He says, you know, our dad sent me to kill you, Morris, for your insubordination. But I haven't yet decided what I'm going to do with you. 
He allows Morris and Ellie to board the ship and they're waiting for them. Guess who? Zerosa! <laughs> it's all zero. Oh, hate no Zerosa. <laughs> she and she's like, look, I just got to let you know, I don't even want you like that. I know that's what you think. You think I'm jealous of you and this human, but I don't want you. She tells him her motivation. She was an early model lab maid and raised as a true Alori. In her culture, she's respected on the same level as true Alori. But yeah. Morris is a newer model and the newer models were taught to see themselves as inferior. When it came time to pick a mate, they chose him for her. And she is angry. She like, he's out of my class. He's Ow. below me. Why should I marry him? Ow. She Ow. desires so much more. How <laughs> you put me with him? Zarelle <laughs> so is like, I'll make a deal with this human. She motions the guards and they bring out four people, hostages. One, the dad, Ellie's dad. Two, Ellie's mom. Three, Alice. And four, an Alori that Ellie doesn't know. It's Morris's assistant, Avi. Zarosa asks Ellie to die so that they can all live. She can make her emperor believe, Zarosa can make her em emperor believe that the human corrupted Morris. She insists, I'm not jealous. I don't feel jealousy, only desire. And I desire to marry into Morris's powerful family, but not to Morris. I want to marry Brixton. <laughs> and she tells Brixton that she won't kill Morris and his behavior won't tarnish the family name if this human dies. And Brixton is like, wait, but I'm here to kill my brother. So what do I care if you kill my brother? Just go kill him there. <laughs> and Zarelsa Zer explains, you might not care, Brixton, but your mother will. And the father, he doesn't want his name to be tarnished or he'll never become emperor. And Ellie's like, okay, hold on, everybody. I've had enough living. <laughs> okay, this is a lot. I'll do it. Take me. It's fine. I'm just happy I can, you know, have had these experiences. I lived a little. It's time. I got to kiss the fine alien. I got to kiss. <laughs> I'm good. I can die. I can die now. Right. And more than anything, right, she wants to save the people she loves. She walks away towards Erosa and Morris pleads for her inside of Ellie's head. But Ellie keeps walking. She walks farther and farther until she's um, right up on Zerosa. And Zerosa asks Ellie to kneel. Ellie kneels. Brixton interrupts. He'd rather tarnish his family name than marry Zerosa. You will not have me or my brother, and you will not kill these humans. That's Brixton's voice. Zerosa is shocked. <laughs> Ellie uses this moment, uses the distraction to take the electricity sucking black chips from her back pocket. Zerosa says she never suspected Brixton was working for the rebellion. She what? threatens to tell their grandfather. Then their father will definitely never be emperor. Ellie throws this chip. Now, remember this chip um, that caused Morris all of the electricity to drain from Morris's yeah. body? Well, Ellie stole one from the humans that kept them captive. Anyway, um, now she's throwing that chip on Zerosa. And Zerosa is like, ah! But she strikes <laughs> Ellie. <laughs> and one strike from even a lab maid um, Lori would kill you. So Ellie is like, oh my goodness, I'm in a lot of pain and I'm bleeding everywhere and I think I'm going to die. She's like broken, essentially. For sure. Morris rushes to her side and tells her that her family is safe. And then he cries for the first time ever. He didn't even know he could cry. <laughs> his fingers graze the edge of my face and there are tears in his eyes. One plops onto my cheek and he gasps, bringing his hands to his face. I've never... Hearts must feel, for mine is breaking. I want to tell him he has inadvertently quoted The Wizard of Oz. Even while dying, I am reminded of stories. I blink up at Morris, concern and hurt and pain all mingling in his expression. More tears stream from his eyes and fall onto my cheeks. I love you, Janelle Baker. I love you. 
I wheeze, trying to say the words back to him. I want him to know that I love him too. It's the only thing I can do. I know, I know, he says, bringing his lips to my forehead. I can't read your beautiful mind, but I know you. He brushes tears away. I know you love me. This will not be the end. It can't be. What can I do? I think about him singing to me, his voice, how I love to hear him sing. He looks down at me with a small, sad smile. He knows this world, it's bigger than the two of us, but it's really only them and us. And I want them all to know my star. I'll never let her go. I remember our first kiss, the way he looked up at the sky as if thankful afterward. I was thankful too. Please stay close to me. I revolve around you. You're my gravity. They say we're too different, that it can't last, that you're a star shooting too fast. You hold your hand out, pulling me with you. I love you. One last time, just one more try. One word, love. And it's all I can say before my eyes close on their own, but I can still hear him breathing and singing. I can still feel his hands holding me, my body draped across him. The world is fading to black. I hope my mom finds peace. I hope my father finds himself. I hope Alice finds love that will shine brighter than the darkest of her memories. And for Morris, I hope that he finds happiness and that when he thinks of me, I'll bring a smile to his mind and a song to his lips. Even as I die, the love in my heart is profound. As they lie on the beach, Morris is crying and singing Coldplay. And figures approach from the distance. They're wearing tight jeans, white shirts, and red capes. They kneel beside Ellie and fill her mouth with a healing liquid. It is the starry eyed, <laughs> the band, her favorite band. And this is a very like Dios Ex Machina type of, they come and like save everyone. However, can I just tell you when you read the book or even listen to it, it's very fun. It it's is. It's very cute it when they really arrive. It really is. It really is. Their personalities are hilarious. They're great. And they add some comic relief to this like tense moment. So Morris is in shock. The Starry Eye, this band, they're, how do you say, Andarians? Oh, Andarians. 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 So they're Andaran. And by colonizing Earth, the Alori broke a treaty with the Andaran, who's another alien race. But the Starry Eye's focus isn't on that. They're like, Chill out. We won't kill you. Our focus is on Ellie. She's our girl. We actually have been following her forever and we love we her. Love her. And he ta- <laughs> we talked about um, or he talked Morris talked about the Andarans um, when they were getting to know each other in the truck like so many days ago. Mm-hmm. This race of um, aliens, they have no time. So they know they that time is like a circle for them. Um, so they are not here to fight Morris. In fact, they know about Morris and they know about Ellie and the love story of Morris and Ellie is um like famous throughout yes. the galaxy. Isn't that cute? <laughs> okay. So <laughs> uh, when they come, Morris watches the ship, the ship that he, you know, crossed the country to get to being destroyed in the background as Brixton and Zerosa fight it out. He feels like he failed. Zerosa is near death when Morris shuts her mind down so that she can wait for a healer back home so that she won't die. And it's this, it's the right thing to do, even though she hates him and he doesn't like her. There's no reason to kill. There's been enough killing. And let me just say, she hated, hated him and like kept saying it, even though he had the opportunity to kill her. She was like, so I hate you. I hate you. You evil. I hate you. I'm going to kill you when I get a chance. You dead meat. (laughs) He was like, oh, don't kill her. That's just not in me to do that. (laughs) 
Right. And then he sees his brother, the brother that, you know, has hated him and antagonized him for his entire life. He's part of the resistance. He's not his enemy. <laughs> his voice falls softly and he wipes away a tear that trails the side of his cheek. It's silver and unexpected. I think I may have wanted a brother more than mother wanted a soldier. Brixton, it's all Morris can say. We were always connected because of that little piece of myself I shared with you. I couldn't hear you unless you let me, and sometimes you did, but I could feel you, always. He sniffs, looking away. Your despair with the vaccine, your guilt, endless guilt, Morris. Your joy whenever you listen to music, I think. And then your determination when you read that book. That's why art and expression were banned, not just for the humans, but for the lab mates. Feelings are powerful. I learned that from you. Brixton's brilliant green eyes lack on Morris. They can't be controlled by true Alori minds. You think we're almighty, but we need Il Zerocom to assert authority. We are connected to you. The connection goes both ways. If the lab maids knew what they are capable of. Morris brushes away his own tears, watery and so very human. I wanted a brother. I needed you. Would you have left if you knew the truth? Brixton steps toward him, tentatively, and then kneels before Morris in the sand. May I? Morris nods, although he doesn't know what Brixton asked for until he wraps his arms around Morris' shoulders and lets out a deep breath. Humans do this, yes? Yes, Morris whispers as his body collapses against his brothers. One day, Brixton says, we will be free. The starry-eyed help Morris free Avi, the assistant, and continue the mission. They aren't bound by time, as we said. And so they're, they're letting him know, you know, you and Ellie's love, it's legendary throughout the universe. Also, your mother is famous and honored for her bravery. Here's a new plan. The ship's in the basement below the atrium of, I think, their home. Yeah, their home. Of the, the starry-eyed, the band's home. Take that ship, drive it out into space, and get to their planet, Andara. Anyway, once there, once Andara, on Andara, they'll contact his mother and find out how to upload his song. The plan can still work. It will still happen. And that's the end of the book. Ooh. Should we take a break? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Okay. What did you think of The Sound of Stars and would you recommend this book? Okay. All right. What did I think? Well, it was a fun book. I got to say, even <laughs> though you did not talk about the um, Andarians, you know, um, Cecil and Alistair. <laughs> the starry-eyed band. Yeah, the starry-eyed band. <laughs> They're great. I really <laughs> love their part. And when they, and when they came in and just the little clips, what I didn't like is the regular um, occurrence of library. <laughs> oh my goodness, I thought of you. So the narrator for this um, audiobook does say library. Yeah. Consistently. And I thought, oh, Alexis isn't going to like this. <laughs> so I have both the book and audio. And yeah, the, there's some library, lots of libraries. It's throughout the Which book. are the most delicious berries, <laughs> but they don't hold books. <laughs> so, and that that's is fine. like throughout the book. So that's just a little okay. thingy. But that's not critiquing on the book. Stay on focus. <laughs> it is. That was distracting. <laughs> it came up every time. I was like, <laughs> okay, please continue. <laughs> uh, anyway, I like, I do like that the, um, every time 
uh, Morris spoke. It began with the songs, the little clip. That's another reason why I want the book. And then every time she, um, her chapter was on, it had the um, the book quotes. I thought those were excellent pieces. And I like the varying in genres. Like he's yes. listening to, you know, um, even some of the lyrics are like Aretha Franklin. Mm-hmm. And, it wasn't just one know, genre. And I really appreciate right. that. It's very diverse. And she's quoting Anna Karenina and... Obviously, that book is still on my mind. Um, <laughs> but she is. And, you know, Jane Austen yep. and mm-hmm. Bronte. Yeah. A lot of the um, what's considered great works. Um, and I think in her interview, she talked about that, how these are works that ha- that are really important pieces and that they've, um, they've been preserved with great quality. She even talked about in that interview um, why she selected um, the book that Morris read. Which was it called again? The hate, the you, hate give. you give. She just said it was a great book, and I the the book really connected to this time, to the time I, I really saw the parallels. The Sound of Stars did. Yes, yeah, it's very timely. Yeah, very um uh, fully connected to the time. So I did really enjoy the book. Um, I did enjoy how it was written. I, again, I would really like to see the words on the pages. That was that had me. I was messed up listening to it. Um, but the audio recording was really good too. So I would um recommend the book. How about you, Kari? Would you? I had so much fun with this book. (laughs) Um, I thought it was very um, intelligent in the way she thought out not just the um, nuances in the characters, but the devices that they use to move through the world. The um, telecommunication device that the aliens use to communicate with each other. Uh, Well, it's a telecommunication device, so that's what they use it to communicate. (laughs) Sorry for the redundancy. Mm. But I love the way that was described. I love the way Ellie was very layered in who she was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I mean, has this book not been picked up for any type of television or movie adaption? Very interesting you say that I had those very same thoughts. But no, I think her That's book an oversight. was released um, in February of this year, I think. And it kind of fell right when Corona was hitting. And she felt like she didn't, she wasn't able, she didn't feel like she was able to promote her book in the midst of oh, all sure. of this. So, no. Well, listen, Alicia, can I tell you something? There are pen writers that do very well. People don't have to, you don't have to promote this work and I'm sure you're you have an agent and who's giving you great advice (laughs) but Corona does not have to stop you from promoting this and for this to be picked up and made into a film because that is a film that I would like to see please thank you yes also this is just the start right because the story didn't end end. I liked where it Mm -hmm. ended it felt satisfying but it ain't over right right Mm mm-hmm I want to know more about Ellie and find all Morris. <laughs> tell me, tell me. I want to know. When it, this was so good. And when y'all pick somebody to play Morris, you make sure he write and fine. Okay, I got some recommendation. My husband free. <laughs> he Latin X. <laughs> we could get them coins. Okay. Um, but I just felt like this was a great escape. Uh, this is the book I've been waiting for. It is a YA book I have been waiting for. It was sci-fi and the love stuff, the um, <laughs> tension between the two characters. <laughs> So cute. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I I loved it. I would love it. I loved it and I would recommend it. And that's that on that. <laughs> just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Just a whole lot of fun. It was mm-hmm. cute. It was cute and stuff. Did anyone die in this book? Yeah. The girl that was no hung. one that So yeah, no one you know. <laughs> None of the characters you're following die. And I'm all about that these days because there's enough depression in the world. So the yep, ones you come to I'm love, right? Yeah, so they killed random people. Very this good. Is true. Good choice. This is true. And, and yeah, to create fear and tension without 
you know, destroying you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the book didn't break you. Okay. All right. All right. right. Exactly. Well, mm-hmm. that was great. Great selection, Kari. So what are we reading next week? <laughs> I know what it is. It is Remembering Laughter by Wallace Stegner. Excellent. Yes. So that'll be a brand new book for both of us. I'll tell you all about how I picked it next week. So this is going to be interesting. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, readers, to Lit Society. We look forward to meeting up with you next week, Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Anaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love y'all too. We love y'all so we much. We do. If you've enjoyed what you've just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society, please. And then visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, readers, read, read something. something. <laughs> All right.